You fucked us both, didn't you? Yes. You let us think we were getting away with it. And all the time you were fucking us? Yes. First him, and then me. Yes. From Chicago, this is The Unenthusiastic Critic, a podcast about destroying your marriage one movie at a time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough. I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is my own less-than-silent partner, my lovely wife, Nakia, also known as The Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On this week's episode, Nikki and I conclude our 2020 marathon of Christmas-adjacent movies by sitting down for her first viewing of a largely forgotten thriller, Daryl Duke's The Silent Partner from 1978. Nikia will get to that movie in a few minutes, but first, since this is our last episode of 2020, I thought we'd do a quick year in review. Mm-hmm. How's, how's the year been for you so far? How, how am I answering that? <laughs> Just in general. <laughs> <laughs> it's been the same that it's been for everyone, which is, you know, challenging in lots of a ways. A total shit sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. So the the podcast, I'm assuming, has been really one of the only bright spots of the year for you. That would be false. What do you mean? I mean, this, is, this has not been a bright spot. <laughs> 2020, if it taught us nothing else, it taught us the preciousness of life, how little time we have on this earth, and mm. how much of that time we should spend... Being with the people we love, doing the things we love, and that is the is exact opposite is. of what this <laughs> this enterprise is. Wow. This just reminds me, like in literal hours and seconds, I can measure how much of my life I wasted in a year where that is just sinful. So, no. You're really making me feel good about this whole endeavor right now. <laughs> All the things I could have been doing. This year. You would have rather be with someone you loved doing something you enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Instead. <laughs> Instead. <laughs> I was you were here with and me. Doing this. Uh, in, in common with a lot of people, I suspect, we were slightly less productive than usual in 2020. Mm-hmm. Uh, we ended up taking a long hiatus in the first six months of the year. Mm-hmm. Then we returned for a while on a bi-weekly basis. The schedule has been a little erratic this year. Yes. Uh, Nonetheless, we released 17 episodes in 2020, counting this one, and watched 18 films. What did we watch and not release? Oh, actually, we did watch a couple things that we didn't release, but no, we did a double header. We did uh, Batman and Batman and Robin. right. So Batman and Robin is your bonus film there. That's 17 episodes, 18 movies. Okay. (laughs) That was your, you know, gift with purchase. Mm Mm-hmm. And once again, and this is the part you always contest, I, I looked at my, I have a little Excel spreadsheet of all the movies we've done, and I think you actually enjoyed, or at least tolerated, most of the movies we watched this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, this suggests to me that I need to work harder to get you to rant angrily in 2021. I don't like that you want to exploit my anger. Like, that's... <laughs> That's what you want, because those are tend to be the better episodes. I mean, I, th- I think people enjoy listening when to I'm you swearing and angry, and that's that's a problem. That that's your goal. Um, <laughs> but sure. Uh, by my accounting, you liked, and I you can you know jump in on what your takeaway was from any of these movies or anything else you have to say about them. You liked Rope. 
Mm-hmm. The Alfred Hitchcock movie? I did like, well, yes, yeah, sure. I did like Rope. Okay. You surprisingly enjoyed Hamilton. Because it was a musical, that's why it was a surprise? Yes. Yes. This uh, was proof <laughs> that you can enjoy a musical. If the music is good. I, I mean, I have always held that if the music is actually good music, mm-hmm. then that can get me about halfway there. Okay. And Hamilton, it wasn't as earnest as some of those other, like, it's not the sound of music. It's not. No, nothing is, unfortunately. No, fortunately. Many <laughs> things aren't. Um, so I think it was also just a different style of musical for me. You liked Spirited Away? I loved Spirited Away. Okay. You like Devil in a Blue Dress? Yes. Denzel was hot for me in that, and Denzel's not always, I can't always get there with it. Like, Denzel is absolutely, <laughs> objectively a beautiful man, but this is, he was in the wife beater. And, and with white the, you know, yeah. just like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was very. And Don Cheadle, really. And I mean, Don Cheadle was yeah. just fucking amazing. But I no, Denzel's to... brilliant in it, and Don Cheadle is just the perfect. I still want, like, ten sequels to that foil. movie with Don Cheadle. Uh, then we're into our horror marathon, which I think was a massive success this oh, year. Oh, Jesus, how are we defining success? <laughs> Devil's Backbone. Guillermo movie well, Guillermo, you yes, liked? Yes, beautiful. Rebecca, you liked okay. Rebecca, I liked Mrs. Danvers, and that was it. <laughs> okay. It really was just the one character. The rest of the film, I can take or leave. Uh, I think you liked Hereditary better than I did. Probably, yeah. I think I liked it up until the end where I was just like, this is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> so, but yeah. In general, I thought Tony Collette was amazing. Um, I mean, that dinner table scene alone. Yeah. Just, come on. I love when a mom is yelling at her children. What does she say? <laughs> you sit there with that fucking, fucking face on face your on face. Your face. <laughs> it's just fucking amazing. Um, to my chagrin, you enjoyed The Strangers and were not scared by it. That was the mm. one I was hoping was going to creep you out. Mm-hmm. It was really well done, though. Yeah. I liked it. And then our recent movies, Sweet Smell of Success. Liked it, yes. Okay. Moonstruck, you were sort of. Yeah, no. I didn't love Moonstruck. I could not watch that movie again. It'd be totally fine. <laughs> and then last week, we did Children of Men. Which was really good. Okay. Yes. Uh, then we get to the ones that you were not so crazy about. There's not that many of them, really. Uh, diner. Just man children who deserve <laughs> never to be anywhere near a vagina ever again. And they're, like, they were, they're unworthy of female companionship. The problem in our marriage is that you never ask me what's on the flip side. Because nobody gives a shit about the flip side of your fucking records. Is it Spivey? Is that his name? Shrevey. Shrevey. Some d- dumbass shit. <laughs> I just, no. Like, all of those dudes should just be together in a relationship because they don't, no one else should be inflicted with their childish nonsense. Uh, Dress to kill. Transphobic, horrible, just, that alone negates anything positive that came out of this year in in this exercise. This is what, like, the bad far outweighs the good. Even if there were more films that I said, yes, I liked, the fact that one of the films that I didn't like was... Dressed to Kill cancels out, spirited away. Almost. Almost. Because it is that poisonous of a film. It's a pretty well-made movie, though. That is not... No. Because the very idea of it is not... It's bad for the world. That's what you said about Sleepaway Camp. And it is the same. It is the same. Honestly, neither of the two Batman movies we watched did much for you. No. I mean, of course, um, the first one had the Prince soundtrack, which is like, still my only takeaway from that is the Prince soundtrack. And, you know, it's Jack Nicholson being the Joker. Is I mean, it's pretty iconic. But, no, I wasn't particularly okay. impressed with either of those. Um, the only movie in our Halloween marathon that I think didn't quite click for you that just tells me that you need to watch it 
a few more times was uh, Phantasm. Another movie that I don't know why it exists. <laughs> I don't what mind thought that up and was like, yeah, we're definitely going to put that to, to film. That's worthy of some some time and some effort and pain. I just, I don't even remember the plot. <laughs> I couldn't tell you from start to finish what happens in that movie. Uh-huh. I can only, it's I, almost I think like you a, had that same problem like five minutes after we it's, watched it. It's like a nightmare that you only remember visuals from it and you're just like, what the fuck? It's that sort of thing of just like, uh, I remember the steel orb but floating you will, through the you air. you will never forget that. You will remember that all of your life. Is that a good thing? I think so. I don't know why. I mean. I can't off the top of my head explain why you needed to have that image, but. It's like a phantom limb. <laughs> Like, no, you'll never forget that you had a leg and you don't have a leg. But, like, do you, is that something that's, is that good? <laughs> something to celebrate. That's not good. <laughs> All right. And then a couple of weeks ago, we watched the Oscar-winning classic Dances with Wolves. No. 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 Less time on Kevin Costner's butt and more time <laughs> with the actual natives in the film. All right. So what 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 was your, what would you say is the most essential movie you watched this year? What did you really need to see? <laughs> that is... Or are at least, you know, happy that you saw... I'm really happy that I, I watched Spirited Away. Okay. Um, and I, de- I need to... Miyazaki isn't streaming anywhere. Isn't that the one we're... No, actually, I think they're all on HBO. Most of them are on HBO Max. Now. Okay. So that's probably the okay. one that made me say I need to go watch the rest of his films. Maybe we should just make this a Miyazaki podcast. I'd be absolutely fine with that. We're so not, in terms of like something that we're not going to do that, but we should in terms of something that sort of maybe influenced my trajectory moving forward, mm-hmm. it is go find more Miyazaki and watch more Miyazaki. Okay. I think that right there is worth the price of admission. I'm not, again, we still had <laughs> Dress to Kill, Phantasm, Diner. Right, so there's the, there's the corollary. What, what's the worst oh, thing? You, what do you a, really re- regret? I mean. Having watched this year. Ugh. <laughs> So it's a toss-up between Dress to Kill and Phantasm, <laughs> and I may say that Dress to Kill is worse just because it, I really do think it's, it's bad, bad for, for humanity. World. Yes, yeah. it's just bad, and I really somebody I need to like. Is there a follow-up with Michael Caine somewhere where he reflects? <laughs> He's like, yeah, that was a poor decision. I should not have done that. Maybe you can write him a letter. I guess like, Michael Caine, what the fuck? And say this movie you made what? <laughs> 40 years ago now. <laughs> I just saw it. I just saw it. <laughs> and, and you need I'm... to atone. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't care. <sighs> he should care. <laughs> he should care a lot. He doesn't care what movies he makes. He's made that very clear. And that's fine. Career. I'm all about, you know, actors for hire. You want to yeah. buy the island? Okay, yeah. buy the island. But He's the guy that, you know, when they asked him about Jaws 4, said, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the house it built. And, it's and I'm, I fully support that. Except when it's advancing transphobia. Okay, that's a reasonable position, I guess. All right, uh, any anything you would like to do differently? Not in any of do any 2021? of this. Twenty twenty one. Don't. <laughs> Just. <laughs> are, are you getting more enthusiastic or less enthusiastic? Would you say the longer we do this, I'm becoming less enthusiastic. You know how long we've been doing this now. I don't even want to know that because that's just going to make me sad about my life. How long? Uh, I'm pretty sure what we started this as a blog series. I'm mm-hmm. pretty sure it was in 2011. Oh, God. So we are coming up on the 10-year anniversary of The Unenthusiastic Critic. That's just... For the podcast, it's been three years and we're coming up on the 100th episode mm-hmm. pretty quickly. So so this is the thing of our uh-huh. relationship. Like yes. We don't have a home or children or... Right. 
assets really of any kind. No, no, this is our legacy. We haven't left anything behind, but that's this. right. Okay. Yes. And you feel good about that? <laughs> this is going to be the first line in your obituary. <laughs> you feel good about that, do you? <laughs> I do. Okay. I am very satisfied with that. Mm -hmm. All right. I, I honestly don't know what else I could have accomplished with my life on Earth. Just so many things. <laughs> so many. All right. I don't think there's anything there for me. I'm just, well, let's, let's move on, shall sure, we? Sure, yeah, let's, <laughs> let's move on. And I want you to know one thing. If I ever see you again, I'll kill you. That's no way to talk. You know that. We're partners. You know that. First the robbery, now the murder. We're partners. We always have been. So I don't have a lot to say about this week's movie. Uh, as I said last week, it's neither, you know, a box office hit, nor a critically acclaimed classic, nor is some kind of universal cultural touchstone. So why are we watching it? <laughs> Because it meets one of the other criteria for our weird little project, in that it is one of those weird movies I liked as a kid. That is never a good <laughs> bar. I think I think our local video store must have stocked this one, because I'm pretty sure my friends and I watched it. But my memory, possibly faulty, is of watching it on HBO, almost certainly at my grandmother's house. She had cable. We lived out in the woods. We didn't get cable, but so when I went to my grandmother's house, it was exciting that she had HBO. Mm -hmm. And these were the days when HBO literally ran like three movies a month, just over and over again. Like mm -hmm. the day's schedule was like the same movie shown five times. Um, there's a fucking Chevy Chase Goldie Hawn movie called Seems Like Old Times. I must have seen that a dozen times back then just because HBO just kept running it. <laughs> it was just on every two hours. <laughs> Uh, so this is one I remember watching there. This would have been about 1980, so I would have been about 10 years old, which was, to be clear, way, way too young to have been watching this movie. Uh, it's fairly dark, it's kind of violent, and it has lots of gratuitous nudity. Okay. Th this probably explains why I watched it so many times and why I remembered it. For so many years. Am I watching something that you pleasured yourself to as a child? <laughs> I, I, ten years old, I mean, it's too young even for that. Okay. Would that be a deal breaker it for you? It would be good to know <laughs> that I'm watching some, I mean, you know. Let's do that. Let's schedule a whole month of movies. I don't even want to know. That I jacked it that, to when I, I was, you know, 13 years what old. what that would look like. I really don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Released in 1978, it was a Canadian production. Uh, it stars Elliot Gould, who I'm guessing you primarily know from the Ocean's Eleven movies. Yes, probably. He's uh, yes. Reuben yeah. in those movies. Mm -hmm. And Christopher Plummer, who you know very well. I like Christopher Plummer. I'm sure we'll talk about this, but this role is going to reinforce certain sinister undertones in Christopher Plummer that you inexplicably picked up on in The Sound of Music. Okay. Do you remember, do you remember your reaction to him? Oh, because he likes music? pee. Okay. He likes to pee on women. Gonna, that's that's entirely your thing. It was there. <laughs> okay, this is what I don't I'm see how about. you can watch the sound of music <laughs> and not clearly know you decided that, that he had man some dark sexual one stuff going on. Blows a whistle during sex. He absolutely <laughs> uses that whistle during sex. And he absolutely pees on, on his partners. And that's not a judgment call. That's absolutely fine. What I'm saying is let's all just be honest about what's going on there. There's there is no he basis on his in the text he pees on his for ladies. that reading. He pees on his ladies and he blows a whistle when he's done. Or he blows the whistle before and it's like the announcement of the pee. Like the whistle blows and you know the pee is coming. 
<laughs> I don't know why this is like it's it's not even me saying that's disgusting or it's a ju- it really isn't. I think that's wonderful as long as it's two consensual partners. But let's <laughs> say that that's what's happening because that is absolutely what's happening. It's clear as day. No, no one else ever saw that in Captain Von Trapp. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> This movie was directed by Daryl Duke, who basically has no other memorable films on his resume. He was primarily a television director. Uh, But it was written by future Oscar winner Curtis Hansen, the director of such later films as Hand That Rocks the Cradle, The River Wild, Wonder Boys, Eight Mile, and L.A. Confidential. Uh, By the way, L.A. Confidential is another very obvious, better-known Christmas-adjacent movie, Mm -hmm. which it would probably make way more sense to watch. But its heroes are all brutal, corrupt cops, and it features Kevin Spacey in a prominent role. Mm. Between those two factors, I decided to spare you that one. That's, yeah. I would have spared myself. I would not have watched it. So, yeah. All right. So, as I said last week, I think Silent Partner is poised for rediscovery. Uh, It got a long overdue Blu-ray release last year. Turner Classic Movies has been running it this month. The Criterion Channel is currently streaming it, which I think is where we're going to watch it. Uh, The Criterion Channel says, This nerve-twisting 70s sleeper crackles with ever-escalating tension and non-stop hairpin twists. So at the very least, I no longer feel like I'm the only person on the planet who remembers this movie. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, I'll be completely honest, the real thing that refreshed my memory of this movie recently and made me want to watch it again is that I somehow came across a Twitter account. This is a side note, but it's a great one. A Twitter account called, Is There a Fish Tank in That Film? It's hyper-specific. I have no idea what the origin of this account is. I don't know who runs it. But literally all it does is post pictures of movies that have a fish tank in them. Does it need to be a tank or can it be a fishbowl? Fishbowl, fish tank, any kind of fish containment system. Because I watched Killing Me Softly last night. Oh. There is a fishbowl. With the lesser fines and Roller Girl. With the greater fine (laughs) and Roller Girl. It's a terrible movie. And he does this whole thing where he takes the fish out of the bowl to show her like what... Being okay. at 20,000 feet is like, mm-hmm. so that should be on the So account. if they haven't done it that so far, killing me check, softly. They, they can say, killing me softly has a fish tank. With in the it. better fine. <laughs> I, I don't even remember how I stumbled upon this account, but I, I admire the obsessive purity of it. Mm-hmm. They don't tweet about anything else. There's no other commentary. I mean, it's yeah, now simply, I'm going back and trying to figure out. Do you want to know if this movie has a fish tank? Where in I've it. seen fish tanks in film. Just a laser focus to its mission. Something for uh, and when I saw that, the very first thing I did was check and see if they had done The Silent Partner, which has a very memorable fish tank scene in it. And I thought, it's so obscure, there's no way, is there a fish tank in this movie, had had done Silent Partner. And I looked back, and they had. Did Christopher Plummer pee into the fish tank? <laughs> is that what happened? It's actually considerably worse than that, but we'll get to that. Okay. Uh, the critics like this movie. Gary Arnold in the Washington Post called it an uncommonly clever and gripping suspense thriller. Roger Ebert gave it three and a half stars, calling it a small but wonderful gem of a thriller. And in his review, he actually talked about the fact that this movie arrived quietly, out of nowhere, with no publicity. He said he didn't even know what it was about when he went into the screening to see it. Uh, He actually suggested it might have been one of those Canadian tax shelter deals, quote unquote, where no one cares about it making any money. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But he said, along with half a dozen other lonely moviegoers, I was witness to a small miracle. To a thriller that was not only intelligently and well acted and very scary, but also had the most audaciously clockwork plot I've seen in a long time. Silent Partner's plot, indeed, has such ironies and reversals, and neatly inevitable triple crosses, that it's worthy of Hitchcock. That's a pretty good review. Sure. Okay, so we are proclaiming new cult status on this movie by doing it this week. Nobody listens to this. (laughs) So we're not going to be the people breaking the news here. Okay, but there's going to be, like, one person out there Mm -hmm. who's going to watch this movie. Mm Mm-hmm you know, five years from now, and do a Google search for it, and think there can't possibly be a podcast where anyone discusses this movie, Mm. and they're going to find us. And Mm -hmm. they're going to say, wow, I can't believe you guys actually talked about this movie. This is great. You think that's what's going to (laughs) happen? Okay. It it could happen. (laughs) So we're doing this for that one guy this week. Okay. Okay. Let's go do it. All right. All right. what you're afraid of a crime of sheer genius that builds to a climax of sheer terror he doesn't suspect not at all he will tell me soon when the telephone rings the terror begins hello hello you're doing your terror like you did it to me think of where to run think of how to hide Think of how to escape the silent partner. I don't know how you managed to pull it off. Well, I guess you're going to have to tell me one of these days. But we uh, we worked it together, didn't we? I thought I knew you. You've changed. I'm going to kill you, so help me. I'm going to kill you. Starring Elliot Gould, Christopher Plummer, and Susanna York. One night, when you come home, you'll find me on the inside, and that'll be the night you'll wish you'd never been born. It was the only way to make him the silent partner. And we're back. During the break, Nikki and I watched The Silent Partner. So, Nikia, let's start with the traditional question. Christmas movie? I mean, there was a Santa in... Sure, yes. (laughs) (laughs) It is a Christmas movie. I mean, isn't Christmas... Christmas is all about getting gifts. Is that what Christmas is all about? That's not what Charlie Brown taught us. Yeah, it, pretty much. That's all Christmas is all about. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I think it's. I think this is solidly a Christmas movie. I agree. No, there's no argument there. I think there's a reason that there are so many heist movies that take place at Christmas. I think that, you know, I think the, the idea of presents and the idea of... Getting what you deserve. Mm. I think that's a very Christmassy sort of idea. Okay, sure. I mean, I think it's just there's a lot of money moving at Christmas and (laughs) capitalism capitalism, is at its peak. So The haves and the have-nots. Exactly. You know, Mm -hmm. you got to buy your kid the G.I. Joe with the Kung (laughs) Fu grip. With the Kung Fu grip, exactly. So. (laughs) All right, so uh, what what did you think of this? I liked it. I thought it was really good. Right? It's a good movie. I mean, I'm not, I said before, I'm not making any claims that it's an essential cinematic masterpiece. No. 
But it's a really good movie that it's more good people movie. should know about. Well, it's one of those movies movies that you would like come across randomly one afternoon or something, and you'd sit and watch and be like, "What the hell is this?" Right? Then Why be, have I never heard of yeah, this? Yeah, but you'd be really happy that you watched it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. No, I thought it was really good. Okay, good talk. Well, you need to talk about why you like... I'm, I'm always the one talking about why I hate things. You need to talk about why you like things. So why did you like this weird-ass, obscure movie? I think one of the reasons I like this movie is... It's actually... As as much as it feels like a formulaic crime movie, mm-hmm. it's not. It's actually not predictable. Mm-hmm. I think in terms of the standard beats that you expect in this thing, you don't quite get them. And I think it's... I think a lot of that is Elliot Gould, mm-hmm. who I think is tremendous in this movie. Because he, when we meet this guy, he is such a nobody. Yeah. He's such a milk toast. I mean, he's, he doesn't like his job. He's mild-mannered. His boss uses him as the beard. Right. To cover up an affair with the woman that Elliot Gould is in love with. Mm-hmm. He's got, you know, he's got a crappy car. He can't drive over 40 miles an hour or the top blows <laughs> off. He's got a catatonic father in a nursing home. Yeah, I mean, all, he, all he's really got is his fish. His fish. He loves his fish. <laughs> but he, he turns out to have untapped resources. That's one of the things I like <laughs> about this movie, is that every time you think he's going to go one way, he he goes the other way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and pulls something out of his bag of tricks. Mm-hmm. What, what, did you, what did you think of him? No, yeah, I thought he was a really interesting character. I mean, he's all the things that you said he was. It's, he's one of the... He's that person that you sort of overlook... Um, and it's pretty much and people say that throughout. Said, yeah, like, multiple times throughout the film is like, oh, I'm mis- I underestimated. Underestimated you. you, right? Are you the sort of person right. people underestimate someone? Yeah. Asking? So I think it's an interesting film because I mean I think it's something that sort of reveals our own sort of morality a little bit because it's yes. like, is there a good guy in this film? Right. No, there really isn't a good guy <laughs> in this film. But we are in the position to root for Elliot Gould's character. Like, he is theoretically our perspective. He's the person that we're supposed to relate the most to. Right. And yet, what he does leads to some pretty heinous things. Yes, it does. <laughs> happening. <laughs> There's so. some very questionable <laughs> ethics and morality yes. here. So, while. Let's, well, let's, for, okay, let's do a little plot synopsis just because I know people are going to listen to this episode without having seen the movie. Okay. So, basically, this is about a, a bank teller mm-hmm. who learns ahead of time that the bank is going to be robbed. Right. He he notices a an aborted attempt by the bank robber, Christopher Plummer, dressed mm-hmm. as Santa Claus, the first time, and he figures out this guy's going to come back and rob the bank. Mm-hmm. And Which I actually think that's a brilliant premise right there. Because he realizes, hey, if I do this right, I can take a bunch of money mm-hmm. and blame it on the bank robber. Right. Say the bank robber got away with more money than the bank robber. What's he going to do? Is he going to file a complaint? No. So that's that's where we start from with this. Mm-hmm. Which right there, you said, you know, questionable morality. Basically, they're both bank robbers. They are both bank robbers, absolutely. Yeah, because, I mean, it's interesting because it's like they're both bank robbers, but I don't know that at first blush we would say that Elliot Gould's character is a bank robber. Because, again, we would put ourselves in his position and be like, well, if I had a shitty job <laughs> and if there was an opportunity to maybe take a little bit of money... 
the bank was going to be robbed anyway. Right. You know. Right. Who am I really hurting here? (laughs) It's a a victimless crime. (laughs) It's a victimless crime. There's so much of his behavior that you can sort of excuse, partially because it's happening in the body of a quote-unquote upstanding Mm -hmm. white man who's like, well, he follows all the rules in every other way and he's had a shitty life, so eh, maybe you deserve $50,000. This is why, too, I I think that's interesting because this is something we talk about so often. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a general theme of movies I think we have to accept. Mm -hmm. You know, the underdog who deserves the big score. Yeah. Um, And I think it was was way back when we did Dog Day Afternoon Mm. that we talked about the sole category of films about normal people not professional thieves but normal people who break bad right. and decide to take their take, take their chance at you know the golden ring yes uh, i think one of your rules at the time when we had that conversation was don't steal from anyone scarier than you in general <laughs> that's usually a good rule now having said that i mean Elliot Gould's character turns out to be a little scarier than we <laughs> thought he was. You you do almost end up feeling bad for Christopher Yeah, because I'm just like, shit, just give the dude back the money. Um, So, yeah, I mean, he's definitely not an easy mark. I mean, he is capable of making some choices and being very manipulative and lying <laughs> repeatedly and using women and all mm-hmm. kinds of just questionable behavior to get away with, again, $50,000. <laughs> what, what do you mean? It's $50, just... $50,000. Once we add up... It's actually $48,000. All Canadian dollars. Canadian we, dollars. <laughs> once, which is like, what? $38? <laughs> once we add up all of like the body count and just <laughs> the shit that happens in this movie, it is absolutely not worth... So I, I did look this up. If, if we figure out the inflation, mm-hmm. it's about two hundred grand in today's dollars. Still. Still not a lot of money. Still and not he a lot says of money. that. He, he says, says it's not enough money to, to live... Like, the rest of your, your life, life on. Right. Right. It's enough to sort of start over. But even then, it's like, barely. <laughs> barely start over. Um, you're not going far, and you're not start. You're still going to have to get a fucking job. Yeah. <laughs> you're still going to have to get a fucking <laughs> So, yes, the, 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 the dollar amount kept sort of, because I'm just like, it's 50 fucking thousand dollars. Yeah, I think Julie, at one point, asks him, what would you do with the money if mm-hmm. you had it? Mm-hmm. And he's, that's where he says, you know, it's not enough to live on forever, but I would use it to buy myself another chance. Yeah. So, again, it's just another chance at life. Just another, I'm not happy with how my life turned out. I'm going to use this to put myself in a slightly better position. But to do, you're just going to go be middle management somewhere else. <laughs> you're not, like, what are you going to do? I don't, by the end of this movie, you wouldn't bet I guess That's, that's true. I mean, he could do a whole bunch of things, but. Yeah. All right. Well, let, let's talk about the guy on the other side of the chessboard here. It's Christopher Plummer. Mm. This is a very interesting character. Reichel is his name. Reichel is his name. Yeah. Very, very interesting character. Not the typical Christopher Plummer role. No. He's just... I tend to like villains anyway. <laughs> they're, they're just the more interesting roles, nine times out of ten. And Reichel is definitely very interesting. He is gorgeous with makeup, <laughs> like full beat face, really. Yeah. And lashes. Apparently, there was talk of having either Mick Jagger or David Bowie play mm, this role. Mm. Full manicured nails, like high shine polish. Mm. He has like a silver necklace he wears and a bracelet, like matching bracelet. I think he's, he's got an anklet too. I, I think he's, 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 yeah. just ve- he's, he's very glamorous and yet <laughs> terrifying. Yes, he is. Just <laughs> <laughs> tremendously. And that's it's like, this is what people need to understand. <laughs> 
it takes some balls <laughs> to like fully lean into that feminism and like walk around and like mm-hmm. I double dog dare you right. <laughs> <laughs> to say some shit to me. Yeah, I mean he's 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 a terrifying character. He's at you know within one second can go from being very charming and funny to you know very friendly, when very he, friendly yep. to you know the keeps calling him pal, the face of death, and it's just. <laughs> It's a, it's a, he's a fascinating character. I love that scene where Elliot, they've been talking through the apartment or on the phone, and then he just appears at the mail slot in mm-hmm. the door, just his eyes mm-hmm. staring through that mail slot. It's actually a really scary moment. It is, but they're, he's, it's like the lashes, he's, he's gorgeous, <laughs> and it's just like, oh, okay. So did this change your view of him vis-a-vis the sound of music, Captain Von Trapp? I mean, it's definitely a more sinister, non-consensual side of that coin, right? Uh, Whereas Captain Von Tramp... Tramp. Tramp. Sure, let's go with Tramp. <laughs> Captain Von Tramp pees on his partners. Just, you just made And it's fully consensual, up. and it's beautiful and loving, <laughs> and it's done in, like, a marital bed. It's wonderful. Reichel... She was a nun. ...beats women and rapes women and murders women and is probably, not probably, definitely on the misogynistic end of the spectrum there. We actually don't see him sleep with any women. We don't. We just see him beat women. We see him beat women. Do you think this character is coded? So he, I mean, there is. You a wonder if they just change him. their mind about it, or if mm-hmm. it's. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard because yes, there is a queerness to him, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he does or doesn't sleep with women. Like we don't really know. I think, and even that scene where he beats up the sex worker, mm-hmm. like it's basically a bathhouse scene. It is like everything about that scene could have easily just been translated. Yes, to make that. But a remember, gay when he gets arrested, they're like, "Oh, well, he, we are we suspected him of raping a girl." But I think he was sleeping with the woman that then goes and. Elaine. Pretends to be in love with uh, Elliot Gould there for a while. So I think he's queer. I think... Okay. It's, I think it's a he has a queer identity. Fluid. Fluid. Because even he and Elliot Gould have a little bit of a weird chemistry oh, yeah. there between yeah, them. Yeah, there's a little little tension there. Which, of Elliot Gould's choices. <laughs> if I were him, I'd go with Christopher Plummer. Like, of the three, yeah. three quote-unquote love interests in this be movie. criminal masterminds together in a loving <laughs> relationship. I think that that's fantastic. I think I still gotta, I still gotta go with the French girl. No, see, you're so fucking predictable. Over Christopher Plummer. <laughs> In full lash and manicured mm-hmm. nail. No. Yeah. Did you notice the scars on the French girl's leg? Yeah, no. Again, it's clear that he beats his partners. Yeah. Yes. That is very true. Okay, so let's let's go back here a little bit. So, <laughs> the robbery unfolds. Mm-hmm. Elliot Gould has secreted away $48,000, which was the bulk of the money. Mm-hmm. And Christopher Plummer is understandably pissed off about this. Lots of money, yeah. And then you have the little conundrum of when the cops are investigating the robbery, they actually show him a picture of Christopher Plummer as one of the suspects, Mm -hmm. but Elliot Gould can't identify him because he doesn't want him to get arrested. Right. That happens a couple times in the movie where he has to steer the cops away from Christopher Mm -hmm. Plummer Mm -hmm. because he doesn't want Christopher Plummer arrested and saying, well, actually, I didn't get $48,000. So do you think do you think he changes through this movie, Elliot Gould, or do you think he was always this guy? I mean, I guess the argument is that we're always those like the potential of that is within all of us, and it's like you make that choice in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yes, he was probably always that person, and just didn't have the opportunity to. But he definitely gets more confident. Oh, absolutely! He's like smoking cigars and because in the beginning, the whole thing with Julie, yeah. You know, he's he's in love with her. She's having an affair with their boss. Right. And he's going home with a fish. And he's just... 
<laughs> He's going home with his fish. Yeah. No, but I th- I mean, it, it's definitely... I mean, I think it's one of those tropes that is in a lot of films. Like, this is in the same vein of something like a fight club, right? It's like these emasculated, that they mm-hmm. they feel that they are emasculated men in places where they feel like, despite all their immense privilege, they don't have the power that they're supposed to have. They don't have the sexual virility that they think they should have. Right. They don't bed the women that they think they should bed. They don't have the money they think that they should have, the friends that they think that they should have, et cetera, et cetera. So there's this, like... This id, right, that's always sort of there bubbling under the surface. And it's, you know, you make a choice and you're either smart smart enough to sort of capitalize on it and you can get away with it or not. Mm-hmm. And so to a certain extent, you know, Reichel becomes Miles's id a little bit. <laughs> Ooh, psychological in it, reading mm-hmm. of the film. I like that. Yeah. But that thing, that thing you were talking about, about the, the consequences mm-hmm. of his actions... I think the film is very aware of that. Mm-hmm. And that, in fact, that scene where Reichel beats up the girl in the sauna club, whatever that is, is intercut with Elliot Gould sitting at home counting his money. Yeah. He's got the money on the table and he's wrapping it up and stuff. So it's, you know, that that scene in the sauna is Christopher Plummer taking out his frustrations on this poor girl mm-hmm. while Elliot Gould is at home counting the money, counting his ill-gotten gains. So yeah, he uh, he gets he gets some people. Killed. His hands are very dirty. Yeah. in this film. And yet, are we rooting for him? I think I started out rooting for him when he first took the money. I was like, all right, you know, <laughs> good for you, good on you. I'm usually not particularly like that. Money's insured. Um, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I don't have a hole. You know, nobody, but yeah. It's, what you've said before is that you wouldn't do it just because you would get caught. Exactly. Like I know for a fact that I would absolutely, I would not think to hide the keys in the jar of like black currant jelly. <laughs> well, that and all of this. So well, well it turned out. I mean, but it, it, initially it was an all right idea. And I just, so I would absolutely not, I would fucking fail. So that's probably, and that's, here's the thing. That's probably what keeps 99% of people from committing crimes. Like we don't think that we can get away with it. If people oh, thought that they yeah, could get no, away I think with that's it, true. they would make that Well, choice. that's why I think even just the premise of this movie is interesting because it's like, okay, that is a real opportunity. Mm-hmm. You know the bank's going to get robbed. Theoretically, the robbers are going to get away with it. This is an opportunity to just squirrel a little money aside. Yes. I think if he had taken less of the take, probably he would have gotten away with it clean. Possibly. Right? If he'd let, if he'd let Christopher Plummer take the majority half of the yeah, money yeah. even and kept the other half... Christopher Palmer probably would never even have known it happened. Mm-hmm. But no, he took all of the money. Basically, basically all of it. And then Christopher Plummer shows up and wants it back. And there's, I think it's their second conversation, but it's Christopher Plummer's been in the apartment and searched the apartment. And they're on the phone. And Reichel says, come out and talk to me. And Elliot Gould says, you come up. Mm-hmm. And Elliot Gould goes out the back and goes downstairs and call, so now Christopher Plummer's in his apartment. He's outside in the phone booth that Reichel had called him from and mm-hmm. calls. So literal switching of the roles, flipping the, flipping the script here. Yeah. And tells him to go fuck himself, which is that moment, I think, in this film where you realize this is going to go a different way than you expect it to. Because mm-hmm. you would expect this guy to be scared, to try to give the money back, whatever. And no, he just says, go fuck yourself. Yeah. To this very scary bank robber. Yes. Yeah, no, I mean, I think this film does a really good job, again, of, like, making them sort of parallel characters. They're the two sides of the same coin. They both play both, you know, cat and mouse at Mm -hmm. different parts of the film. 
And it was unexpected. I think it's one of the more unexpected parts of the movie is because you do expect Elliot Gould to be fearful and to like try to figure out how to get away. And he's just, he's like, no, I'm going to engage and try to outsmart mm-hmm. this person. And it makes both of them much more interesting characters because Christopher Plummer is also not some all powerful villain that can just kill this guy immediately. Like he also has to, like he has to get the money first and he has to, there's all these right. complications around right. it. So yeah, it's, it's an interesting dynamic between those two. So Elliot Gould actually gets the guy arrested. Mm-hmm. He he steals a van, parks it out in front of the guy's house where he's followed him. This again, the cat and mouse thing where he's become the cat and gets the guy arrested. And then there's a little reprieve. We've got a few months. We don't know how long exactly mm-hmm. where everything is calm. And this is when Elaine shows up. Tell, talk to me about Elaine. Elaine, uh, the hottest woman ever, <laughs> uh, shows up at Elliot Gould's father's funeral um, and she says that she was a nurse at his um, sort of long-term care facility, mm-hmm. and she really loved his father, even though his father was, like, totally catatonic. Right. And did not talk, but they had a beautiful relationship. <laughs> and he talked so much about you, like, he never spoke. And she, you know, she ingratiates herself, and they go on dates, and it seems as though it's a nice little love story. And the whole time, at least I was very aware that you she said was, almost immediately she's a fucking plant right like, there's no way a woman that gorgeous <laughs> gorgeous perfect just drops French into your life and is up. so amazing and per- like nope that's absolutely seemingly instantly in love with you but again we get the surprise that ellie gould also knew <laughs> that's what i love about that it. she was a fucking plant <laughs> and he doesn't tell her he doesn't until after she sleeps with him <laughs> which is fucking gross <laughs> But that's but again, who he you is. You underestimate this I, guy. I absolutely underestimate him. And she even him. says, she's like, you were fucking both of us. Yeah. 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 So. There's a super gratuitous 30 second shot of her naked. Yeah. Walking across the room, pouring a glass of wine, lighting Smoking a cigarette. Smoking a cigarette and naked. Walking back. Walking back. It's, yeah. it's so. There's a lot of naked women in this film. Yes, there is. So it's just, yeah, it's a little <laughs> egregious. Again, we come back to why I remembered seeing this movie. When yeah, I no, you guys can see why, you know, 10 year old you would enjoy all the boob. And it's a variety of boob, um, <laughs> which is nice. But the a selection. The violence would concern the me that boob. you were watching, really. The violence against women. Like, that's how men grow up fucked up. There, like, it's yeah, not. There is a lot. <laughs> like I, had, I had not remembered. I mean, you I start remember. to equate those two things a little too closely and you grow up a little fucked up. I had forgotten how dark that is yeah. in this movie. I mean, I remembered the fish tank scene. Mm-hmm. You can't forget the fish tank scene. Mm-hmm. But, like, when Christopher Plummer beats up that sex worker, yeah. I was like, oh, this is really yeah. ugly. Yeah. This is really dark. Yeah. I should not have been watching this no, when I was 10 years old. No, you should not have been watching it at all. Yeah, so she ends up sort of falling in love, maybe. It's a little, un- like, they don't pretend they're in love. No, I think they see each other as better options than Christopher Plummer. Right. Um, so she's sort of like, I cannot be with this sadistic madman and just go with this dude and maybe, you know, I'll find a way to take the money from him. And I think she up. admires him. Yeah. She says, you outsmarted him twice mm-hmm. already. Yeah. You know, I'm betting on you. So they decide to work together. Mm-hmm. And that turns out not to be a good idea for her. <laughs> well, I mean, it works at first. Mm-hmm. They do. So Elliot Gould has, and this is another baller move, he's actually put the money he stole from the bank back in the back bank. in the bank. It's in a safety deposit box. But then his maid throws out the jam jar with the key in it. So he has to figure out a way to get the, the box open. Mm-hmm. So he sends her in, in disguise. She's got a wig and some glasses on. Right. To pretend to be the customer who owns the box and get it rekeyed so he can get the money. Yeah. That all works fine. 
That all works perfectly. Sure. Uh, then we have a problem because Christopher Plummer is back. Yes, he's out of prison somehow. <laughs> yeah. And as you said, that then does not work out well. No. For her. He slices her head off <laughs> on the glass of a fish tank. Let me ask a question. Is there a fish tank in this film? There is a fish tank in this film. <laughs> Prominently. And does it have a human head in it? Chekhov's fish tank. <laughs> the human head floating in it. That scene is so yeah. over the top. Yeah. It's pretty... He, they fight, he breaks the fish tank, and then he... First, he's just drowning her in the yeah. fish tank, which would be bad enough. And then he's just dragging her neck across the broken glass. Which had to have taken off. fucking forever yeah, to do. Yeah, that's a lot of effort. It's just... And that's... Yeah, so that was... Apparently the... And I didn't know this. I've been doing a little more research. There isn't a lot out there on this movie, but apparently Daryl Duke, the director, at some point in production was fired from this movie. Mm-hmm. And there may have been a lot of reasons for that, but one of them... Was that he didn't want to shoot that scene. Mm. He thought it was... Gratuitous? It was gratuitous. Yeah. And Elliot Gould said he didn't like that scene either. And it was a problem for the movie because the movie got an 18 Mm -hmm. rating Mm -hmm. when it was released. Where it might have, you know, been a 15 before that. Uh, But yeah, he he saws her head off with the broken fish tank. Yeah. It's pretty bad. And then Elliot Gould comes home. Earlier in the film, he's come home and found his, like, fish nailed to the wall with a knife. Mm-hmm. But this is... It's now he comes home to find his beautiful French girlfriend decapitated. Yes. And her head floating in the fish tank. Yeah. And this, again, I think is one of those moments where you think, okay, now he's got to call the police. Yeah, he doesn't do that. <laughs> no. He rolls her body up in a rug. <laughs> and dumps her you in a construction site. You just you're like, who is this guy? Is it... And this is just... This movie has some random moments. Because he's carrying... Her down the sort of back stairs of his apartment building, wrapped in the rug. Yeah, trying not and to it be looks seen. Fairly late at night, number one. <laughs> it's it's dark. And then we see a, a postal worker <laughs> coming up the stairs delivering mail. So it's like, why the fuck are you delivering mail at like eleven p.m.? And then the postal worker has one arm, and that's not even like. <laughs> it's just like it's, it was a weird to- like it's like because then you think does that. You expect something like that to mean something. Like, that <laughs> is somehow going worker. to come into... Because it doesn't... Ha- and maybe that's that's a failing, right? Because there are differently able people in the world and they right? <laughs> should just be normalized. But I was just like, what the fuck happened to this dude's arm? <laughs> and it's just moments like that where I'm like, that's a whole other movie right there. What's going on in your life? What happened to your arm? Why are you working at night? Why are you working at night? Do they have you working at night because you only have one arm and they're like, we can only have you working at night? <laughs> Because that's discriminatory and not okay. I gotta, I gotta confess, I had not given that much thought to that but, subplot. But I just, and you didn't even notice. I, was I like, didn't. I was like, you were like, rewind that. <laughs> Look, he has one arm. He's got one arm. And I was like, no, I think it's just his bag is in the way. <laughs> he has one arm. No, he has one arm. They, so, they probably thought no one was going to notice. Maybe how, You had a mailman with one arm. <laughs> He's like sort of ruffling with the bag. And it's like, well. And it's all happening in the background, and Chris and Elliot Gould is like hanging off the the porch because he doesn't want to be seen carrying this dead body rolled up in a rug that the mailman trips over and doesn't even like like that felt like a body in a rug. I'm just gonna keep delivering my mail. Why? Because I only have one arm, and so something obviously traumatic potentially happened to me, and I don't have time for another thing. I can't invite another thing into my life. I'm interested in the mailman story. Similarly, John Candy. Yes. Was this like before he was famous? Yes. Okay, because he's totally not he's used just a background really character. in this. But he and another teller oh, yeah. end up hooking up together right. and become engaged. 
And so they go to a Christmas party with their other co-workers. She ends up fucking some other co-worker in the bathroom. And Elliot Gould comes in and is like, oh, I the weed is in here, so I got to get the weed. But you can keep doing what you're doing. But I'm going to take this weed out of the bathroom. Fast forward however many months later, yep. John Candy and this girl get married. And she's like, oh, yeah, and I'm pregnant. Bitch. <laughs> yeah. That's not John Candy's baby. No, because she says... Too much celebrating at Christmas. When I was fucking that other dude in the bathroom with the weed in it. Uh, so Whole you, other movie. So now you want to know what happened yes, with them. Yes, there are so many other movies. I'm just like, well, what's going on with John Candy? And the, like, when that baby's born. <laughs> Is it going to look like John Candy? Or? No, it's going to look like the short, dumpy, skinny dude that she was fucking in the bathroom. I'm just saying. Good world building. Good, very good world building. Obviously, everyone seems like they have, you know. Very full lives. Mm-hmm. A lot going on. But anyway... So he rolls her body up in a rug, and then they're building a very fancy new high-rise bank. Right, um, they're pouring a new vault. Right, they're pouring they're a new doing. vault. And he conveniently has that as an out, and so he dumps her body at the construction site as they pour concrete over it. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking cold-blooded thing to do. <laughs> Just secret psychopath. And then we're pretty much getting to the end of the movie here, because they actually finally meet face to face. This is the first time. And, you know, Christopher Plummer's been saying all along, we're partners. Yeah, we're in this together, which they we're are. partners in this, pal. You help me steal the money. You help me hide that body of that bitch I killed. Mm-hmm. You are partners. Yeah. Now you're complicit in bank robbery and, and murder. murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they arrange to meet up at the bank. Yes. Elliot Gould says, you know, okay, I'll give you the money, but you have to, we have to do it in public. Come to my counter at the bank. I'll give you the money. Mm-hmm. He says, wait couple hours after we open where there will be fewer people and we can do it. Mm-hmm. Christopher Plummer does not wait. No. Because of course. <laughs> he. Coming back to our coding question. Dresses up in drag. <laughs> full on suburban mom. Beautifully quaffed. How'd you look? He was, again, gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was like a sort of tweed skirt <laughs> suit thing. Just very well manicured. Very respectable looking woman. And... I think that takes Elliot Gould by surprise a little bit, mm-hmm. not only because he's dressed as a woman, but because he's there way earlier than they had agreed. Right. But Elliot Gould has more tricks up his sleeve. Mm-hmm. And so when Christopher Plummer demands the money, Elliot Gould gives him a bag, but then also passes him a receipt that says, you know, give me all the money. I have a gun in my pocket. I have pocket. a gun in my pocket. And so now Christopher Plummer is holding what looks like- right. A bank robber's He's note. just made Christopher Plummer rob the bank again. And and uh, Elliot Gould goes, help, help, I'm being robbed, I'm being robbed. And um, there's a shootout. I feel like this, it's clever, but I feel like this was a risky piece of Elliot Gould's plan. Okay. Because that old ass guard. Is slow moving. Had to kill him for this plan to yes, work. Yes, he had to die. Yes. And that was not. Guaranteed. A guaranteed yeah. thing at all. Yeah. That's like, that guard is like 140. He old as fuck. He, the first robbery, the guard was shooting in the mall. It's like, you should not, no, that guy should not be open fire, no. opening fire in a mall. No. Uh, but it works. It does. The guard shoots Christopher Plummer to death, not before Christopher Plummer shoots Elliot Gould. Right. And it's just a really sort of sad scene. So he shoots uh, Christopher Plummer, and Christopher Plummer's still trying to sort of drag himself up the escalator, up the escalator in the heels, and it's just, it's just <laughs> awkward and... Should have practiced that. Just, well, you weren't planning to run away in heels. <laughs> and then he sort of he's trying to go up the down escalator. Mm-hmm. And so he finally just falls down. 
and the guy shoots him again. And then it's just, he's splayed out with the skirt on and his legs are sort of wide open and he's dying. And he's trying to say, he gave me the bank's money. Right. He tells the guard comes up and he says, he gave me the bank's money. And the guard's like, well, what did you expect him to do? You robbed the bank. (laughs) It's kind of fucking brilliant. So, yeah. In the... What we didn't see was that Julie, the woman that he had had the crush on the whole time, mm-hmm. looked in his briefcase and saw that he had the money and figured out okay, what so he Okay, so haven't, we haven't talked much about Julie. Let's Julie's talk about Julie one. a little bit. Yeah. She's, a t- she's a difficult character. Julie needs to get her own business. <laughs> like, Julie seems to just be attracted to men who will give her some excitement, and I want Julie to have some excitement on her own. Mm. Because she starts out dating the bank manager who's married, mm-hmm. and so she like, be Elliot Gould's date so Fake that date, right? the bank manager's wife doesn't realize that, you know, they're having an affair. And she just seems, I think she just finds it exciting and interesting. Um, she only gets interested in Miles after once he the starts robbery to get a little, and starts to get yeah. a little interesting. Right? Yeah. Um, and then she was okay with finding out that he had stolen that money and sort of engineered this whole thing. And yeah, she was, she sort of got off on but it. But he treats her like shit too. He does. He's very manipulative the whole time and is very hot and cold with her. Do you think she was suspicious all along of something? Um, I don't know that she was suspicious of something. I mean, I think even when he started to change and people were like, oh, you're a little bit more than what I expected. I still think that people didn't see or didn't allow themselves to see how he was like clearly. Because watching it this time and knowing everything, I, I thought there were a few moments where she, like when he misidentifies the mug shots, mm-hmm. she kind of gives him a look like... Mm. That doesn't look like the guy I saw. Mm-hmm. And then just stuff like her asking him, if you did have that money, what would you do it? Like, I almost think she sort of suspects hmm. she might. something is yeah. going on all the way through this. But yeah, then at the end of the movie, we discover... She grabbed the money. They go off into the sunset. Yes. Again, now together. you have two people mm-hmm. trying to start over on $50,000. $50,000 Canadian dollars. Not gonna ha- no, you're not. <laughs> nope. How far do you think they're going to get? Not far at all. Where were they? Toronto? Yeah. Not what? What's the next city over? <laughs> I, not, I, I like, don't know. <laughs> Saskatchewan. <laughs> I don't know. They're not going far. And guess what? You'll never be able to work in a bank again. You're like one marketable skill. So, no. You don't have a lot of hope for this relationship. I don't. No. It's not enough. You can't really Bonnie and Clyde on $50,000. It's not. I kind of want to see a sequel to this movie. Maybe the guy in Ocean's Eleven that Elliot Gould plays is the same character. Hmm. Maybe he went on to become a professional con man because he's really good at it. He is very good at it. Okay, that's my new headcanon. I mean, I guess it depends on how you do I mean, he gets a lot of people killed. Well, not directly. Still. <laughs> I don't care how butterfly effect you're trying to get right now, but like he gets people killed. So, I mean, good at it. Sure, he doesn't get caught, but people die. So, and again, I'm less into I want to have the story about the mailman and the story about John Candy. <laughs> You want to know what happened with John Candy Mm -hmm. and his new wife? Mm -hmm. Those are the stories I'm interested in. (laughs) Anything else to say about The Silent Partner? No, I thought it was really good. I thought um, it was a very tight plot. Mm. Um, Not predictable, which was good. Yeah. Enjoyable. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again for the next episode of The Unenthusiastic Critic. 
Nakia, I'm going into 2021 with a slightly more ambitious writing schedule, trying to produce more content, and you have never had time for this bullshit anyway. <laughs> so we are going to switch back to a bi-weekly schedule for the immediate future, meaning our next episode should drop January 12th. And that feels so far away right now that I don't even know what movie we're going to watch. Mm. I mean, I could pick something right now, but we both know that I would change my mind like four times before then, so why even pretend? Uh, I am going to try to get a little bit better about announcing the films ahead of time on Twitter and on my new weekly blog. So you can follow me on Twitter at Free Range Critic or check out the blog at unaffiliatedcritic.com where you can find additional episodes, leave us a comment, or make a donation to support our work. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, Happy New Year, and remember, true love means conning your partner into watching movies they really, really don't want to watch. I'm going to say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You mean it? (laughs) Happy New Year. Is that better? (laughs) Does it sound like I mean it? (laughs) To people who don't know you, yes. (laughs) Fucking Jesus, Michael. So I'm scrolling down the page. Okay, now you're just fucking up the rotation. And I just got live and let die. I can't even, like, (laughs) that was horrible. That was just bad. This is all bad. You're looking at the whole back history I'm looking at the whole back catalog. I'm just like, I watch live and let die. To be clear, you have never done before. Have you you ever been on this page of my website? I avoid it like the plague. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there's some shitty shit on here. Oof. Oof. Just. Sorry, continue. <laughs> Did you notice that I'd moved on from... We, we, right, but then we I were started in a whole to, separate segment. I started to scroll and, and that was a mistake because this right, just I think you need to put the laptop Reminding away. me <laughs> of just what I've been... Ex- just, this is... Can't even tell you. I mean, so many things. <laughs> Mamma Mia, terrible. Hoosiers fucking... Oh, God, Avatar. I watched Avatar. You did watch oh. Avatar. I, I'm sorry about that. Actually, yeah, you, didn't you really should be. Need to watch I feel like you owe me restitution. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, continue. <laughs> All right, let's take that from the top. <laughs> <laughs>